Welcome to That Anthro Podcast, the podcast dedicated to anthropology. Together, each week, we will be learning from the experts and researchers that are researching our pasts and today's problems. My name is Gabriella Campbell, and I'll be interviewing a new guest each week to bring to you the latest and greatest in anthropology. Join me for weekly episodes, whether you're an anthropology buff or looking to learn something new. Welcome to That Anthro Podcast. Hello, everyone. Welcome to That Anthro Podcast. I'm sorry that this has been a little bit of a break. Um, It's been about a month since I posted an episode. Uh, Everyone's just really busy right now, and I've been really busy, but mostly it's been like the availability of guests. And, um, you know, uh, that's okay. This podcast um, has changed since I went to grad school and that I'm not posting as regularly, but I'm still putting it out there and that's what matters. So I hope you guys can see that too. Um, I came home uh, a few days ago and talked with my friend Griffin and recorded it. So I hope you enjoy Griffin Fox, uh, also known as the Archaeology Cowboy. He was on an episode probably like a year, year and a half ago, if you listened. But today we're talking um, about some like anthropology in the news. So the Homo Nadelli discovery, as well as um, the new Netflix show, Ancient Apocalypse. We kind of touch on those things. And then we really dive into like what Griffin has been up to since graduating from UCSB because he's really done a lot and I'm really impressed by all of his experiences and I definitely wanted to share them with you all. So I hope that you enjoy. I've officially finished my first semester of graduate school at George Mason. Really excited, really proud of myself. I learned a lot and I've met like my cohort's so wonderful. I've met so many great people. My roommates are wonderful. I'm really lucky. So life's good for me. Um, definitely enjoying break though, having some refresh time. And yeah, without any further ado, let's get into the episode with Griffin. Today, I have my friend Griffin. We haven't seen each other in what, like four or five months? I think it's been like Has six, it been longer six than months that? at okay. this point. Yeah, so I'm really appreciative that he came to record with me today um, because Griffin has been up to a lot since we last recorded, um, as have I. I'm home now in California. I just finished my first semester of grad school at George Mason. Can't believe it. Once I submitted my last final, it felt like 10 pounds was lifted off my shoulders. And I actually had the first thought about my thesis for the first time ever, which is sad because, yeah. Um, anyway, welcome, Griffin. Um, yeah. Thank you. <laughs> Great to be back. People have been demanding it for years, I think. They have. They have. The people like you on Instagram. I don't know why. Your water content. It. Oh, God, they can't get enough of water content. What's it, what are the views at right now? Let's check. Let's, yeah, let's check. I think it's kind of died down. That happens with reels. Yeah. There's normally like a month or two where they're like popping up. Yeah. So when Griffin was in Scotland for his field school, which we will talk about, and if you listen to the last episode of the podcast, 
Uh, the person who ran his field school was Dr. Murray Cook, who we had on. Love that man. Yes. It's a 20.9K, which is like okay. where I left off a few weeks ago. 20.9 thousand video, uh, thousand views of a video of Griffin drinking water. 20,000 freaks thought that that was good content. <laughs> so... That's where that's where Griffin's social media's fame is at right now. I've never gotten anything with twenty thousand views. I just drink water. That'll do it, man. Yeah, we should just go to like archaeological sites and just drink water and get views for that. I've genuinely thought about it, or just other variants of drinking water, but I don't know. I'm worried that the reality will be that that was a one hit wonder. Yeah, yeah. So I think let's start by where we left off. And what the the viewers have most recently seen from you is the when we went to the painted caves. Oh yeah, that was my most popular reel. That thing went crazy. I remember you mentioned that. Maybe we should do a like if you don't know Griffin. Yeah, we probably should. Not everybody's gonna have seen okay. the original. So if you don't know Griffin, I'll explain my connection to Griffin, and then Griffin will explain like generally his educational background. So I met Griffin at UCSB in twenty nineteen because it was right before the pandemic. I think it was 2020 even. It was like that. Oh, because it was spring semester. It was in winter quarter that like. McClure's class. Yeah, and it like ended, that quarter ended right as COVID hit. Okay, so yeah, it must have been 2020 then, like January, so. February 2020. Yeah. Um, met him in zoo archaeology class, and we worked in the same lab together. We've done projects together. We presented at a conference together, and yeah, maybe start with like Moore Park and then yeah. to where you're at now. So. In 2016, I started taking classes at Moore Park Community College. I didn't know what I wanted to do with my life, so I went to Moore Park instead of spending thousands of dollars to be an undeclared major. Yeah. Long story short, I stumbled across Dr. Andrew Kinkella and all of his anthro and archaeology classes, and I thought, this seems cool. I did some field work with him. I transferred to UCSB, did some work with some other folks. You can watch the other podcast and get more info on that. I'm graduated now. I'm currently applying for grad schools and working in CRM, among other silly things that we'll get to later. Yeah, you that's make me. money somehow. You do need to make money. Yeah. Are you still working at the theater? Yeah, I'm doing that on the side as well. Nice. Every so often. Nice. So let's talk about Kinkella's um, classes that you've been helping out with. The last time that we recorded, you, I think, had done a couple days of it. I think it was like the first day of that class oh. was the day before we recorded got it all right so tell so us what what that's entailed yeah so um i guess again for people who didn't watch part one kinkella teaches these classes that are it's really it really is just a field school where it's like every saturday in the fall semester we go out to a site in like the oxnard area and there's like a proper excavation done there then he has a surveying class like how to do sketch maps gps we go to all sorts of different sites and then finally a lab class where we like do lab work process organize all those artifacts that get uncovered cool. so i took all those classes as an undergrad but then since then the cycle has come back around and the classes have resumed again and now i've come back as a sort of unofficial ta slash supervisor type position there helping make sure people know how to do all this stuff properly mm-hmm. and just kind of keep everybody in check because when you're managing like 20 people out in the wilderness it can get a little dodgy yeah especially if it's like 
you're not always sure how seriously like the students are going to take it so you're probably there to just yeah. make sure everyone's being professional yeah. and not doing anything they shouldn't be doing and i will say this class was um was very professional honestly like right. pretty much everybody barring some weirdos who left eventually but yeah. <laughs> The, like, main core of the... The main cast that was there throughout all three semesters were all very good. Even better than my class, I would say. Nice. Uh, Shout out to you guys. What? Do you make them all call you the archaeology cowboy? No, they choose to call me that or they don't. (laughs) I don't make anybody call me nothing. Um, But the hat continues. The hat lives on. Well, I think it's a new hat now. It's one of many hats now. It's... I've got, like, three now that I kind of alternate between. Got it. And you've gotten some other gear, like a bolo tie. And... I did get a bolo tie as a gift from one of the students, actually. Yes, yes. Nice. It's gotten way out of hand. Okay. And uh, you and Kinkella are still best buds and annoying each other and poking fun? Yep. Nice. Any, I harass him every day. What? Anything new with him? Um, I mean, he's been getting... More, like, he's been doing more YouTube stuff, mm. like... Oh, yeah, he published his book. Oh, yeah, he did publish a textbook, that's right, yeah. since last week. Yeah, he made, like, a very, uh... He called it, like, the cheapest you can possibly make a textbook. Nice. It's just meant to be, like, an affordable, like, intro to archaeology kind of book. That's I, how all textbooks should be. I agree. I just had someone reach out to me, well, not them, their publisher, reach out to me to come on the podcast, and I just, like, clicked on the book, and it's, like, this, I don't know, you know, not a, not textbook-level length. Just like a normal book length. And it was like $125 for a hardcover. And I was like, and we wonder why people don't read academic books. Right. Like, that's a big reason. Or go to other sources of acquiring them. <gasps> they shut down Z Library. They did. You guys snitched. Yeah. TikTok. Knock I, it off. Did TikTok do it? TikTok did it. They kept Damn like, it. People kept making videos like, oh, check out no. Z Library. Oh. Uh, Narcs. I- Thank goodness I got my my semester's books on Z Library at the beginning of the semester. But yeah, I just went on to look for something. Because the George Mason Library da- database isn't as expansive as the UCSB one, like, in archaeology. But I ended up just emailing one of my friends that's still at UCSB and sent mm-hmm. her the link. And I was like, can you just download this for me and send it to me? I'll tell you one thing that maybe either everybody listening has to promise to keep their mouths shut or you have to cut this part out. <laughs> okay. You can still access Z Library through certain browsers. Uh, what are the certain browsers? I can show you later. There's okay. one called like BitTor or something. Yeah, because it's definitely not Google Chrome. No, it's nothing. <laughs> it's none of the legit. Not that I would ever do any of this because yeah. that's illegal. Uh huh, for sure. I'm telling you guys about this so you can avoid those browsers at all costs and stay the hell yeah. away from Z Library because mm-hmm. it's a vile, evil program. It is. Yeah, it's. <laughs> it's and when I opened it, it said like this has been shut down by the federal government, yep. and I was like, what the. F- at first I thought it was a joke, and I went and clicked on another nope. link, and then I was like, oh no, it's really shut TikTok's down. TikTok's full of narcs. Yeah, I'm not surprised. I'm disappointed in all of you. Yeah. It's your fault. If you're listening, turn it off now. <laughs> I don't want you to hear me. What do you have to say? Miss Daisy is sitting next to us recording. I think Daisy has sat next to me for almost every podcast episode that has ever been recorded. Because the other one that I recorded in person was with my roommate, and Daisy stayed very close. And yet she never says anything. No, she doesn't. She's a silent participant. It's messed up. She's like my support system. So, you mentioned that you're working at a CRM firm. How long have you been doing that for? A little over a year now. I think I started in like early to mid-October of last year, give or take. So a little over a year now. Um... It's been it's been interesting. I like it overall. The CRM isn't my end goal, but I don't I'm not one of those people that like looks down on it necessarily. It's a it's a very important job. 
there's a lot of it's a livable wage yeah no my firm pays me pretty well some firms out there don't Mm -hmm. and we can talk a little more about that later but you know like try to work for one that does respect your time and ability to live which mine definitely does and i'm grateful for that yeah especially in southern california where the cost of living is yeah you're you're telling me that's why i still live with my parents yeah i'm there's if it makes you feel better there are several people in my program that still live with their parents i don't feel i don't feel bad about it i mean once i get into grad school i'll move out but i I don't see the point in moving out for a year just to move again later i guess i just mean it's very normal i feel like now with how expensive living has gotten for sure a lot more common than it used to be in the past yeah i know i know a lot of people who do the same it's yeah no i don't i don't look down on it or feel bad about it at all good um so what does like a typical Maybe not day, but, like, what is a typical... Because I know it's, like, you guys get assignments. What does a typical yeah. kind of assignment look like for so your job? So, there's three basic things you can do in CRM. And there's some variance between all of it. But you can either get sent on a survey, which is, like, um, getting sent to a job site, like a construction site with an archaeology site nearby. You get You go out there before any construction work starts, and you, like... You survey, you look around, like, take note of any artifacts you might see or any, you know, historic architecture, any any archaeological and or historic archaeological thing that might be present. And you just kind of say, like, oh, yeah, there's ceramic shards here or whatever. Okay. There's monitoring, which is the same thing, but you're doing it as the work is being done. So, like, especially when there's, like, uh, groundwork to be done, mm-hmm. like, as they're digging, you keep an eye out and make sure they don't uncover any artifacts or if they do you know you uh you stop the work you make sure everything's all yeah good to go and then the in my case very rare work of um, actually excavating which i haven't done much of in crm but it is a thing you do mm-hmm. it's much quicker than a than like an academic uh, long-term dig which is interesting is but that because you're not like documenting stratigraphy you're just getting the stuff out mo- yeah i mean yeah, it kind of depends. Like, the only excavations I've ever worked on have been, like, we haven't even found anything in the units. We just dig to a certain depth and then say, like, oh, there was, you know, this is Got sterile it. soil. But, um, yeah, it depends. I mean, sometimes you're, like, collecting the artifacts still. Sometimes there are some uh, slower excavation CRM projects out there. I've just never worked mm-hmm. on one, so I don't really know. Yeah. But it's, it's all very, um, all three of those all have a lot of different variants, just depending on the nature of the construction or the facts or whatever have you found a lot of stuff through just surveying um yeah i'd say so i mean nothing like i don't have any crazy stories in all honesty it's usually just been like some your standard like ceramic or lithic shards or like a shell mid and i haven't found human remains thankfully or like or like any like perfectly intact arrowheads or which is um is a relief in some ways because a lot of um some people might get mad at me when I say this, but that's because it's true. A lot of CRM is kind of making sure there's no archaeology happening there versus actually doing archaeology. Yeah. Somebody just spat out their coffee when I said that. Mm-hmm. But, um, but, but it's yeah. important. Yeah, no, exactly. It's like like monitoring, that's what I do most. Mm-hmm. Um, in all honesty, I don't particularly enjoy it. Like, I don't have fun with it, but like... I get that it's very important. It's like probably one of the most important archaeology jobs out there because you're mm-hmm. like the front line between like making sure a site isn't getting eaten by bulldozers or yeah. whatever. Yeah. 
Because I think that that is how a lot of sites are found. Yeah, for And, sure. like, especially, I know, for example, you've told me when you monitor, like, telephone poles mm. changing, it's kind of like, well, if there was already a telephone pole there before and we're going to put a new one in, any damage that's been done has already been done. Yeah, there's, um, there can be an element of that. I mean, you know, sometimes these, these uh, power poles or buildings or whatever the <laughs> hell else... Sometimes they're installed before these laws were put into place, mm-hmm. so, like, it makes sense to, like, maybe there was, art, you know, maybe they did uncover a site there, but nobody realized it until I showed up or whatever. But, like, yeah, there is that element. It's not, when it's not entirely new construction, I'm usually less worried than I would normally, like, mm-hmm. versus, like, oh, we're putting in something entirely new. Because, like, yeah. yeah, like you said, the site has already been sort of compromised in that regard. Mm-hmm. And I mean, archaeology in general is kind of compromising sites. Like, yeah. once you start digging, the site is kind of, it's already, you know, it's been altered. Definitely. Which, that's just the way of it. Yeah. How do you find the construction crews feel about your presence? It's a mixed bag. Okay. Um, <laughs> it's interesting. Cause... I've never asked him this before, actually. I just thought of that, so I'm excited to hear. Yeah, so um, it really depends on the... Um, temperament and oftentimes the political leanings of the construction crew Ah, yes because um a lot of the time i will say they're usually just like i mean i rarely have to halt construction anyway in all honesty but even if or when i do most of the time they're usually pretty indifferent because you know they get paid either way they're Mm -hmm. still out they're paid by the hour so like it just means they don't have to like do as much intensive labor which i'm sure yeah i know in fact a lot of the times they're kind of relieved for yeah um other times you get people who are like i need my time to be worth something and they all talk like that (laughs) like you you know they get mad because they're like getting paid to follow the law and sit there instead of damage their backs or whatever like i i don't understand it but you know it's that like far right Mm -hmm. ideology of like you have to be working at all times, and that, I don't know. Yeah, it originated in Protestant Pro, uh, Calvinism and Protestantism, in which one of the main people... I just learned about this in theory. Mm. Um, the amount of theory I know now, it... Uh, I think our tree is leaning. No, that's leaning, or...? Leaning. Oh. I'm, from this angle, I think... They, yeah, I think it's leaning forward. Anyway, it that doesn't matter. I'll fix it. But, um... Oh, God, what was I saying? Oh, yeah, it originates in someone, whoever Calvin was. It started Calvinism. Yeah, yeah, yeah. was, like, not working is a sin. You have to always be working. Right, okay. So it's originated in those, like, tradi- traditional lines of thinking. Well, Calvin, if you're listening, <laughs> yeah. if these construction workers work when I tell them not to, they're actually breaking the law. Yeah. Which is also probably a sin, I would assume. Okay. I don't know. I'm not a Calvinist or any form of Catholic, but... Um, <laughs> Yeah. I've actually had to be, like, really a lot more, like, policing what I say in Virginia, especially in class. Because I remember, I'm like, oh, yeah, not everyone's liberal here. And, in fact, not a lot of people are liberal. Mm. It definitely is, like, especially the counties that I live in. But, like, you know, we'll have, um, like, I've been told not to flip people off while driving because people carry weapons in their car. Oh, yeah. And that's, like, a very real, like, thing. Yeah, for sure. Um, hello, Daisy May. Um, 
And just in general, like, we've had some really intense abortion protests on the mm. campus. Not students, like, just outside groups that right. come in. Yeah. Um, and then I live by Planned Parenthood, and there's always abortion protesters out there every single day. Yeah. And I yell and scream at them, and especially on Thanksgiving. When they were out there on Thanksgiving, and my mom and I were trying to take a nice walk on Thanksgiving, I literally walked up to them, and I was like, don't you have anything better to do on Thanksgiving than protest my right to my body? It's a good point. And I was like, um, <laughs> I, it was like, my body, my choice, and then I said some curse words, and then they just told me, God bless you. And I was like, <laughs> my mom was not happy. There's no hate like Christian love. No. I mean, um, anyway. <laughs> it's okay. I think pretty, I think we have a very liberal listener base. So. Sure, I... I'm not against Christianity. I'm just yeah. against assholes. But. I am too, yeah. No, my roommate uh, is, is, I wouldn't say very Christian, but she definitely is Christian and, you know, grew up in a Christian household. And so what she likes to do when we have abortion protesters on campus is go, quote, where in the Bible it says you can do what you want and that there's and reminds them that there's nothing in the Bible that is against abortion or against doing things for your health. You know, like late term abortions that people need to like literally survive. I'm like ninety five percent sure there's even a passage where God Himself tells you how and when to abort your your child if you like suspect your wife of adultery. You're meant to abort that kid. Nice, yeah. I've literally never read a passage of the Bible in my entire life, so I'm not the one to consult. Um, I've heard that from multiple sources, mm-hmm. and I've I can't remember like what the passage is off the top of my head, but I've heard it enough times to where I believe it. And yeah. if I'm wrong about that, I'm sorry. Yeah. So, yeah, it's it's been interesting in Virginia, like, having to remind myself, like, I can't just say whatever I am thinking. Right. Um, but it's good because it's, I think, like, in general, it's just good for us to all be in the practice yeah. of... Yeah, I mean, it's, it's all kind of the same with, like, working with these construction crews. Not that I would bring up politics, like, yeah, for any real reason, but, like, some sometimes they'll, like, mention stuff and I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, let's not mm-hmm. talk too much. Or, like, for sure. Yeah. Oh my god, they're watching Ancient Apocalypse. They might be. I bet they are. Because I, when I was looking up the research on Ancient Apocalypse, it says it has a huge audience. And I was like, that's... Well, yeah, what? I mean, it's... It's on Netflix, I guess. Yeah, and I mean, like, that Ugh. that stuff does... You know, I'm going to come out and say it. That stuff gets popular because none of us are putting in the effort, barring, like, you know, like, this podcast and stuff like that. But yeah. for a long-ass time, and nobody like was Keller doing... stuff. Yeah, yeah. like, King Keller... That's why public outreach is so important. Yeah. Maybe Kinkel and I should start a show on Netflix. Not, you that, not that they want us, but I would love to. They might. Um, Kinkel does some TV stuff every so often. Yeah, I want to talk to him about that actually because I'd like to do stuff like that. Yeah. Um, so this brings us to our anthropology news segment. Something oh we don't. I don't know if I've ever done on the podcast before, but there were two things that have recently kind of been going off on anthropology Twitter, and I wanted to bring them to Griffin because A, he's funny, and I'm sure he'll have some funny comments on them, but B, they're just kind of interesting things I thought we could chat about on the podcast. So the first is, as we mentioned, the new show on Netflix called Ancient Apocalypse. At least I think it's new just because I've been recently seeing a bunch of- It is pretty new, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, I've been seeing a bunch of tweets about it. It is uh, pseudo-archaeology at its finest, hosted by Graham Hancock. And his uh, belief is that Atlantis introduced civilization to hunters and gatherers and all of the evidence was washed away by catechismic floods. Do you know the actual real story of Atlantis? <laughs> no, is there a real story? I thought it was a myth. There's a real story. Okay, well. In the sense of like, <clears throat> you know, Star Wars is a story. Um, oh, okay. <laughs> so, um, 
I believe it was Plato. It might have been one of the other philosophers. I'm like 90% sure it was Plato. Okay. But he pitched a hypothetical to his like class or whatever you want to call it. Mm-hmm. That was like, there was this city called Atlantis, let's say. <laughs> and it was a like a fairly prosperous, well-off city. But they went against the will of the gods. And because of that, the gods sunk the city into the ocean and killed all of those people. And his question was, is that moral? Does that make the gods immoral because they're killing people for like, just because they don't think mm-hmm. what they're doing is right? Or is, is it because they're gods, their will is law? Like, was what they did justify yeah. type thing? Philosophy question. Yeah. But then all of his students were like, well, no, hang on. What's this about a sunken city? That sounds so cool. <laughs> And then it just kind of snowballed from there and became, like, a story, and now it's been conflated into, like, it was real, except it wasn't. Yeah. And my information from for Ancient Apocalypse was from a brief Google search, because I refuse to watch it. I refuse to, like, even watch a clip of it to make fun of it, because I don't want to give them, like, the the viewing numbers. Mm -hmm. But I guess he's, like, Graham Hancock is going to sites like Ancient Maya sites. He goes to Gobleke Tepe in Mm. Turkey... And is using them as, quote, I, like, there's no evidence. Using them as a point, I'm not even going to say evidence, as a point for proving that Atlantis introduced civilization to all of these people. And that's why they had such prosperous. I just just don't see how that, how you get to that point. They just kind of, you just, when you're a person, you can just think really hard and build yeah. stuff and how do you convince netflix producers that that's worthy of a show because it makes people excited because there's nobody nobody in our field mm-hmm. doing the same thing but accurately yeah and also because the idea of a sunken city that travels around the world telling people how to build yeah. fucking big triangles or whatever is cool <laughs> versus the real story of yeah people yeah. figured it out through thinking because there's, as... there's that other one that's, like, with um, that guy who was in... Oh, God. It's, like, um, uh, uh, aliens building the pyramids and shit. Are you talking about ancient aliens? Yes, that's yeah. what I'm talking about, yes. It's so similar to ancient apocalypse that I was thinking I was just maybe, like, conferring. But, yeah, ancient aliens. What's that guy's name? I... You know who I'm talking I about. I know exactly. I can never He's remember his name. famous actor. The dude with the hair. Yeah, he was in Miss Congeniality. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's all I can think of right now. I can see his face. Anyway, it doesn't matter. These people don't matter (laughs) because they're doing pseudo-archaeology. But I just think it's really interesting how it's like, oh, my God, aliens built all these pyramids. And it's like, why? Why couldn't humans? Like, what? Because they, what it is, from what I understand, is they, one, they're using, like, antiquated sources to begin with. Mm-hmm. Of like, you know, they look at like 1920s Egyptology and they're like, oh, we don't know. And it's like, well, that was a hundred years ago. Yeah. But um, but then also, I think there's a, they're taking advantage of the scientific method in a sense. Because oftentimes, you know, when anthropologists or any, really any um, field of like science or humanities or whatever, whenever they say like, we don't know, it usually means like we have several theories, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. But like. The general public takes that we don't know and conflates it to mean we have no idea and then shows like this take that ball and run with it yeah yeah so i wanted to give a a good quote that i found from steph oh how do i say Hallenhofer. okay from steph Hallenhofer, a phd student at the university of alberta 
who said this. Uh, this is a quote from sapiens.org. Uh, this is regarding ancient apocalypse. Uh, quote, it's, a consp it's about conspiracism and the positioning of Hancock as the victim of a conspiracy. Oh, yeah, for sure. The repeated disparaging remarks about archaeologists and other academics in every episode of Ancient Apocalypse is needed to remind the audience that the alternative past being proposed is true, regardless of the lack of conclusive evidence for it. And the vagueness of who this supposed advanced civilization was, combined with the credence given to it by being a Netflix-produced series, is going to make Ancient Apocalypse an easily moldable source for anyone looking to fill in a fantasized mythical past. thought that was a that's, nice opinion from someone who had to watch it to make a critique on it, because I was not about to. That's 100% accurate. I haven't watched it yet. I probably won't. I'll probably watch clips at some point in my life. Yeah. I mean, I've seen enough ancient aliens where I get the idea. There's no mm -hmm. original thoughts in these shows. Yeah. So, like, I don't necessarily see the point. Yeah. So, our next Anthro News story happened early last week, maybe a week and a half ago, um, which is uh, Professor Lee Berger and his team revealed uh, new information regarding uh, Homo Nadelli from the Rising Star System, sorry, Rising Star Cave System in South Africa. So a little bit of background on Homo Nadelli, if you've never heard or you're um, not an anthropologist or you're not a paleoanthropologist, Homo Nadelli was an archaic hominin, so uh, within the same species as Homo sapiens, but not within the same subspecies. So they're Homo Nadelli. They were discovered in the South Africa Rising uh, Star Cave System by Professor Lee Berger and his team um, in 2013. They date to 30, sorry, 335,000 years ago to 235,000 years ago. Um, and originally, I think Professor Berger had hoped that the dates would be a little more... Uh, uh, recent than that but that still puts them coexisting with homo sapiens which is a really big deal because there are only a handful of other um, hominid species that coexisted with humans um so their remains from 15 individuals have been recovered and they have a small cranial capacity of about 465 to 610 um i think it's centimeters cubed yeah yeah, cubic centimeters for brain capacity, which is like a third on the low end to a half on the high end of modern humans, homo sapiens brain capacity. And the really interesting discovery that Dr. Lee Berger um, has been tweeting about for quite a while, he did a talk at the Carnegie Science Institute that was streamed live on YouTube. And then he was tweeting about it and people were live tweeting about it. He announced that there is evidence that Homo Nadelli used fire. And this is based on charcoal deposits on the ceilings of the caves, as well as evidence of hearths and burned bone fragments. Now, a lot of people, such as Augustine Fuentes, um, have been tweeting saying, oh my gosh, this is game changing. They're using fire. They have this small brain capacity. Versus Griffin and I are like, they were in these deep, dark ass caves. How were they not using fire? Yeah. Like, how were we... Because the way the cave system is based on, I don't know, not the stuff that we're good at, like geologically, the ge the, the geologists were like, this has always been a cave, you know? Mm -hmm. This wasn't, didn't used to be like out in the world, right? I mean, there wouldn't have been enough time between yeah. then and now. So, but even if they're like some, you know, shit, large shift happens, they determined right. it was always a cave, right? And it was yeah. always this really treacherous, like narrow cave. So... 
The new evidence suggests that Homo nadelli harnessed fire to navigate these deep, dark cave these deep, dark caves, which is obviously really interesting, but not that surprising. And Lee Berger claims that he has three other huge discoveries that are to come. Now, I personally think that one of those three discoveries could potentially be art. Because mm. they had charcoal and there was charcoal dust on the ceilings, what stops them from taking a block of charcoal and drawing on the wall? Even if it's not in an artistic fashion, like being like, this is what an animal looks like, kids, you know? It's also like, what else would you do in a cave? Yeah, <laughs> that's, right? That's, that's what all the yeah. cave sites for humans are. Yeah, so that's personally what I think it the next discovery could be but like why we're bringing this to griffin and i to discuss is that lee berger tweeted about this and did this like public live stream with the zero published evidence like the only evidence is from his own word and the i think three or four other women that were on the team and some photos there are some photos of like but i'm gonna be honest i'm not saying that the photos are fake but if we're just saying that that's the only evidence like technically like they could just scattered stuff on the floor like based on the photos it's just scatterings like it's not the best evidence because it could have been recreated right because no one else has seen the inside of the cave Mm -hmm. so if you know going to a little conspiracy place like technically you know it could could not be real so i wanted to hear what you think about this whole idea of publicizing like on through social media and through like a youtube live stream this discovery before a publication well i think the before a publication part is a little risky because they could very easily learn later that what they're pitching on in this more public platform isn't accurate or mm-hmm. as accurate as they thought it was and there you know there's been issues of that in the past with like with other sciencey mm-hmm. stuff already something like that is to be the case with this discovery there could be you know it could be like it's already out there in the public sphere mm-hmm. as being what they said it is and it's already too late yeah. to change that larger public opinion which because i mean like there's been new york times articles like it's yeah been exactly very, like the, widely the story's already out there and it unless it's like even crazier than what they're pitching if it is different people probably aren't going to catch wind of that or at least yeah. most people aren't which yeah. is a little unfortunate mm-hmm. but i mean the idea of you know spreading your research out there on platforms like youtube or twitter or whatever i think that's a very good idea because i mean it gets it gives us the handle on the story yeah. instead of people like graham hancock or the, sure. or the dude with the hair i just personally i wish he would have waited and done that live talk the day a publication was yeah. coming out like i feel like that would have been that nice hand in hand of like Okay, for the public, here's your info. For the anthropologists that want to, like, make sure this is legit, here's your publication where you can, like, listen to my talk and then you can go decide for yourself if you think that it's um, accurate because then there's also the whole thing of, like, peer review process that's been completely, like, disregarded in this case, which I feel like is dangerous because, again, it's like we want to make sure that... I'm not saying that Lieberger is a liar, but there is a possibility he could be. Or even just... If he's not lying, could just be wrong. Yeah, misinterpreting. Like, yeah. You know, I not necessarily like lying to be malicious, but um, misunderstanding the evidence. And um, I have a quote here from Chris Stringer of the Natural History Museum in London. He says, it's impossible to evaluate Lieberger's claims without seeing the full evidence that is apparently forthcoming. 
with all due respect to Lee and his team, um, this is not the way to conduct science or progress scientific debate about potentially very important discoveries. And I think that that is probably why he only released the fire use, because he claims he has three other really big discoveries that are coming. Mm-hmm. And I have a feeling that that it, like that he did know he had some conscious thought that if I just tell everything to the public, like I'm not going to get any respect from the anthropology community. So it was almost like he like let out a little like dangled some mm. bait to get people interested, and it definitely worked. But I think that they needed more than pictures to back them up. Yeah, if you're gonna be going into the public sphere like that, you should be having like peer-reviewed evidence and yeah yeah you you it, it's just jumping the gun is what yeah. it is that's my only problem with it all right so changing subjects completely let's talk about your field school in scotland um run by dr murray cook yes so um for background before i actually i'll talk about how i like stumbled across yeah. and all that stuff so as some of you who might have listened to the original podcast might have remembered i would did I mention this? I don't know. Anyway, I was applying for grad schools a year ago, but I was a damn greedy fool and I exclusively applied to PhDs and in all honesty, I wasn't qualified yet. And so I got turned down and then I was like, okay, well I need to like reassess. I need to like do more than just like, like my undergrad wasn't enough, which mm-hmm. is an unfortunate reality of the world we live in. But anyway. Yeah, um, that's I, a whole other I could go off for hours on that. I could too. God. Um, but anyway... So from there, I was like, okay, yeah, I need to get out there. I need to start doing field work in more parts of the world, barring California. Yeah. Can I say something on that real Yes, quick? please. I want to mention that, that Griffin, being honest and saying, like, that he didn't get into PhD programs. Like, I also was told to not apply to PhD programs. I didn't end up applying, but I was told by many, like, I didn't have enough experience. So it's not just a, like, Griffin thing. Like, it's a widespread thing currently in that even, like, and I don't think she would mind me saying this, um, like Meg Hardy, who I had on the podcast, mm. after she got her master's, she got rejected from PhD yeah. programs. So the PhD programs in BioArc right now are just so few and far between that they've become like really exclusive. I wasn't even discouraged. Like all the people who knew me and what I do like said I should, but even that like mm-hmm. wasn't enough, which yeah. and I don't know. I mean, I probably, it was it was my fault also. I, pro- I wasn't fully understanding of how to like, compose a good statement it's i don't know it's fine what's done is done the point is the point is is that it is like it's something to be aware of and it's something to like understand that like you do need other things outside of just your undergrad career to prepare yes getting into grad school of any sort even master well masters is a little more forgiving but still Mm -hmm. like any of it is very it's an ordeal to get into and an ordeal to be in Mm, and there's a lot to consider with it Mm -hmm. a lot of things you need to do a lot of things you need to understand but anyway, all that aside, we can get into that later. Yeah. So from there, a friend of mine who was in Kinkella's Saturday classes, she posted on her Instagram that she'd found like a really cheap field school in Scotland she was going to attend. And I was like, oh, that sounds really cool. Because I've always been interested in like early Scotland. I never really had the chance to study it because SoCal and COVID-19, it's a bad mix for studying ancient Scotland. Yes. <laughs> um, but so I reached out to her. I was like, what, like, can you send me the details? I kind of want to do that too. And so she sent me and it was Dr. Murray Cook's field school. And it was 
Very reasonably priced. Very, very reasonably priced. I mean, it didn't include food and lodging, but still, like, that stuff was all cheap enough and easy enough to acquire on my own. Yeah, plus I feel like it's almost taking out any way to rip the students off. Yeah. Because you're finding, like, you can see what the actual price of living in the area for that time is versus Mm -hmm. I feel like my field school was kind of, like, ripping us off. I did also, like, I did, like, a little background check on, I was like, who is this Murray guy? And I saw he had some publications, and I was like, okay, he seems, like, he seems legit enough. Like, this will probably be fine. Yeah. So I signed up, and then... Word got out, and a couple other people from the class also signed up. And then a few months later, the five of us all went, and there's a lot I can say, but the short Mm. of it is it was awesome. Okay. (laughs) The dig was very fun. Murray's a great man. Uh, You talked to him. Anybody who hasn't listened to his episode, you should. He's a very interesting man. He's a very nice man. Um, He really wants me to go to Scotland. You should. You should go next year. I'm, I'm signed up again. Yeah. Uh, we'll see if I actually can. It depends on grad schools, I guess. But anyway, um, yeah, no, he, I like a lot of his perspectives on archaeology, the way he does things. He's very, um, you know, he's kind of like my, if I was to ever do CRM, like, full, you know, my long-term goal mm. is to, like, be a professor. But if I had to just stay in CRM, I would love to just do what he does and, like, still run field schools and still teach people and stuff. And I, I think that's very cool that he does that while not being an academic. We need more people like that. Yeah. And the community engagement. I know he's yes. really big in that. Yeah, that and was... Sorry, go on. No, just like making sure that even if you've never had a day of archaeology experience in your life, like you can still come on the field. Like We're not going to give you the most tedious task, but you can still yeah, come exactly. do like something and you can learn. Yeah, he, bring, he brings all the supplies and he says you don't need any prior experience, you know, like me and all these other people that the group of us that when we all did which was mm-hmm. nice but you know there was a lot of people we met there who had never been on a dig mm-hmm. or had like only just started working on digs yeah. um so yeah it's a mixed bag of people that like, there's no intimidation factor of like what if i don't know what i'm doing because mm-hmm. maybe you don't that's fine yeah. <laughs> you can figure it out digging is actually pretty straightforward it just really think back to sandbox days <laughs> <laughs> uh, literally right. um but yeah no on the um community engagement type thing like the really jarring thing was when because we were we were just working in king's park which is like just a big golf course like park area in the middle of sterling and i don't even feel bad saying that because like it was such a not secret thing which is Mm -hmm. totally different than working out here where like we don't really we don't tell people where sites are because looting is such a big factor yeah but, like, out there, you know, people would just, you know, be walking their dogs and, like, walking and be like, oh, what's going on? And then Murray would just tell them everything about the site, like, you know, if they wanted to hear, obviously. But like, Funny, I can imagine him just going on a 30-minute chat with these people. That's exactly what he did. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I was, it. and it was so weird for me, because, like, I could never do that. Yeah. Like, I keep, when people are like, oh, what are you doing out here? I'm like, oh, I'm a... I'm a biologist. I'm a geologist. Yeah. Like I don't, I don't tell people what I'm doing out there. Yeah, I can't. Yeah. And then, like in a similar vein, like if whenever we dug up Victorian era stuff, he was like, "Oh yeah, you can just keep that." And I was like, "What? <laughs> That's looting, sir." But then, like, when you, but when you think about it, it makes sense because, like, when you word it as Victorian, it makes it sound very old and fancy. But that's like what 1900. Yeah, exactly. Okay. In reality, like. 
Victorian there is like the equivalent of like historic cans and bottles here. Oh, I guess. Which of course, yeah. as a professional CRM archaeologist, you should never loot ever. They're very imp- I I don't care about historic cans and bottles. I really yeah. don't. I I care about them because I get paid to, but I <laughs> honestly could not give less of a shit about yeah. them. But so yeah, no, it was but it, it, just archaeology in general in the UK and I guess all of Europe is so different because mm-hmm. the nature of it like that because i mean it's like murray even said and i'm sure you i'm sure a lot of people listening and you had heard before even like in europe archaeology is a subsect of history rather mm-hmm. than anthropology because for them it is history it's their own people it's their own ancestors yeah. that they're just trying to understand versus here in most cases it isn't for sure it's studying other people whose past we kind of or some of us kind of took away yes definitely so there's a very it's just a very different mindset and looting kind of factors into that too because of like the need to have need to own something that's like america's past versus in europe you don't need to because you are europe's past Mm -hmm. if you're european yeah yeah so the whole mindset Mm -hmm. is just very different on the public and professional level which is very interesting yeah so when you were excavating in Kings Park, what type of site were you excavating? So um, it was it was pretty consistently inhabited from what I understand. Okay. I feel like Murray said it even went back to Neolithic. We didn't find any Neolithic stuff. We were mostly working in like Pictish slash medieval, mostly Pictish era, like when the Romans were okay. in Scotland. Like on the hill we were at, I believe... Murray, I'm sorry if I'm getting this wrong. I believe, like, right down that hill a couple of miles away, there was, like, a Roman fortress, and that that was, like, kind of the border between Pictish land and Roman Empire. Okay. So it was mostly, like, uh, we'd find a lot of daub, like, you know, that early pottery stuff before okay. you're firing clay. We'd find... Well, uh, a waddle and daub? Waddle and yeah, daub, yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, we'd find that. Somebody, I forget who it was, I think... I don't even no, I don't even want to say who it was because I can't remember. I don't want to get it wrong. <laughs> Somebody found Roman pottery, like a shard of Roman pottery, which was like the most telling, I said, most unique find, I guess. Okay. Um, but as we were digging, because we were kind of digging in like the uh, foundations of like the fortress walls for the most part, or this the proposed uh, proposed section of where the walls were, and um, but as we dug, I think Murray came to realize that. While it was also a Pictish uh, roundhouse type environment, there was also a lot of medieval longhouse mm. stuff being found, and I, he came to realize that that was a pretty uh, significant aspect of the site as well. Cool. Which was interesting because he figured it out like day of. He just sat us all down at lunch and said that. And I was like, oh wow, that's that's cool. Because it's not a. I kind of assumed it was like a long term uh, project when I first heard about it, like that he had been working on it for like. Mm-hmm a couple like 10-ish years or so but he only i guess the site's only been worked on since 2017 yeah and it's like only once a year I it's because he works he bounces around yeah. to a lot of sites is what he was telling yeah me. no it make like once i learn more about what he does it makes perfect sense because when you're working like crm or i guess it's not called that over there but it's the same idea um you know you're not i want to say he called it just like public archaeology yeah because he works for like the sterling city council or whatever so but you know so you know he's having to go all over the city like all over the surrounding mm-hmm. area to all sorts of different sites so it makes sense that it's that infrequent i just 
Mm-hmm. I didn't, you know, I didn't know Murray when I looked in. I read, like, the brief blurb on his website and stuff. Yeah. But, yeah. Um, how did you feel about excavating in the rain? Because that was probably the first time you'd done that. It, um, yeah, I think so. I'd, like, done it for, like, one day with Kinkella, but it was, okay. like... It's California rain. It's very It was California rain. rain, and I think it only started raining towards the end of the day, okay. versus this day, it was raining pretty... It was actually really hot the first day, and then pretty much every other day, it was raining. Hmm. not super hard honestly it okay. wasn't it was i mean like it was kind of like the bog standard for scotland so it was like california level big deal rain but like you know i wasn't like drenched when i got home or mm-hmm. anything but i was also dressed appropriately so that i was helped. gonna say yeah like you knew to was, bring the right had, stuff like, yeah well we can get into that a little later <laughs> okay <laughs> there's a good story there okay i had most of the right gear um but yeah no the so there was pretty constant like fairly consistent hardish rain uh the thing that was interesting because out here you know when it rains the soil like gets really muddy the puddles are there for like sometimes days afterwards like the soil there drains rain so quickly that like it barely even affected the ability to dig it was more just like you need to wear a hoodie the whole time and like we had a or a raincoat i mean and had we had the uh like tarps Uh over top the trenches and stuff but like honestly not that uh it didn't make it that much rougher i was expecting it to be like a lot a lot more intense than it was yeah because i just talked to one of my friends in my cohort who was talking about i think it was greta yeah my friend greta from hungary um did her field school in idaho because she went to university of idaho for undergrad right and um she was excavating in the rain and she said it was just really difficult because the holes kept filling back up with water yeah (laughs) that i mean i've heard stories of that happening here well no i've even seen it here like when we would work with ken kelly you know that was only that was only once a week we'd do it on saturday and then come back a week later so you know if it rained in between that week like we would come back to either like because you know we'd cover up the holes like put a tarp over top of them what we would do if we knew it was gonna rain is we'd have a stick like from the bottom of the hole uh-huh, okay. up to the tarp so to make it like tent, yeah. so there'd be a slope so it wouldn't pool up but if we didn't do that or if the stick fell or anything we'd come back to you know a tarp like being weighed down by a bunch of water sinking into the yeah. hole so like and that's what i was expecting to be the normal in scotland but but no just it rains there so often that it like the soil just drains it mm-hmm. so what was your story with your gear so i was pretty much all prepared but as I was driving to the, or as I was getting Ubered to the airport by a very insane Uber driver, by the way, oh. very, very poor driver. In LA, they tend to be. He didn't even, he kept making wrong turns and shit. He was, Ooh. and he just, I think he, he, he whacked one of the like concrete barriers at the gas station when he was stopping for, it was, <laughs> he was a character. He was a strange little man. He's probably dead now, but anyway, <laughs> he might be. <laughs> yeah. But as I was driving there, I realized, oh fuck, I forgot my boots. Oh, no! Luckily, the shoes I wear just, like, by default, I tend to wear waterproof, like, outdoor shoes just because I find them comfortable and, like, I just go outside a lot. So it's like, whatever, my shoes will be passable. Like, it's not the end of the world, and I can maybe buy more when I'm there if it really comes down to it. But then my shoes, like, kind of, I guess broke is the right term to use. <laughs> they, um... They just stopped being waterproof, yeah. <laughs> and I would come home or go to my uh, hostel, and <laughs> they'd be drenched, like, you know, oh, no. 
coated in mud and I didn't really have any way to truly clean them. You know, I'd like rinse them off in the sink and stuff, but you know, like that doesn't really help. Wow, you must and, have been the most favorite hostel guest I've ever had <laughs> tracking money boots in there. You know what? I ne- I didn't leave like prints or anything okay. remarkably. All right. But yeah, I mean, my room was probably the Oh, there's another thing about my room also to add on to that. Um so when we get th- when we arrive in Sterling, we get there at like probably 11 p.m. pretty late at night. And we're all pretty tired, but we're, like, really hungry. And so we're, like, we get some late night just, like, Domino's because it's the only thing that's open. We really branch out. (laughs) Try something new. Yeah. Um, And so then we we eat that. We go back to our rooms. It's, like, midnight. Like, all my family, you know, it's, like, morning for them. They're texting me, like, oh, did you make it okay? I'm, like, yeah, I just got to my room. I'm going to bed now. And I turn off the lights. I'm about to get into bed, and I hear buzzing, like, a pretty intense buzzing. I'm, like, oh, God, what is that? And I flip on the lights and there's a wasp in my room. I'm like, oh, for fuck's sake. And so I spend the next, like, 15 minutes killing that wasp and then, like, trying to kill it. And then I shut my window because I'm like, maybe another one will come in. And then when I wake up, I look out the window. Now that the sun's out, I'm like, oh, there's literally a wasp nest, like, right outside my window. (laughs) So And actually, for anyone listening, wasps in particular, you're not supposed to kill because they're nest will come avenge their death yes i know that but i was tired and, <laughs> and i didn't and i didn't exactly have a means of getting it out okay. without killing it just wanted to let the listeners yes, know yes don't uh, be careful when you're killing wasps but um luckily i'd shut the window though uh-huh. because like it literally was like right up there in the corner so yeah. like other i don't want to shit talk this hostel because it was very nice uh-huh. but like you know i couldn't open my window for that reason so that just yeah. kind of added on to the general grime and must of the room for the poor yeah. cleaners that's why I, yeah. that's why i dove into that but anyway so i you might be asking well why didn't you go get new shoes and it's because i'd you know wake up at like 9 a or well i'd wake up before get to the site at 9 a.m we by the time we got back mm-hmm. the shops there close a lot earlier than in the U.S. because they actually value the quality of their workers' lives. Oh my gosh, what a concept! Right? <laughs> Which, it was a bit of an issue for me because there was, like, a little outdoorsy shop, like a... It was called Mountain Wear. I think it is, like, a, I'm sure it is a larger brand. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, they would close at, like, 4.30, and by the time we walked back into town, it was too late. Yeah. So I could only get new shoes the after we were done at the dig. <laughs> Which I did, and they're very nice. They actually, they're very high quality. A hell of a lot more waterproof than my old ones ever were. Well, now you'll be prepared for next time. Exactly. Yeah. And I mean, it was, it was fine. I didn't like, I only got a little bit of trench foot. How many days of digging? It was uh, five days total. It was pretty short, which I mean, for anybody who doesn't have a lot of field experience, maybe... If you can afford it, look for something that lasts a little... I know next year it's uh, 10 days versus 5, but, like, I would try to find something a little longer. For me, 5 days was good because I already know how to excavate. I'm already a professional. I just wanted to explore, like, digging in other parts of the world that I was interested in and also just travel because I... Before that, the only time I'd left the country was to go to Canada and I was, like, a kid. So, like... Cool. I didn't realize that. Yeah. it, It had been a while. Um... But yeah, no, it was a, for me, it was kind of, it was perfect. I think if, unless, you know, if you, if you know what you're getting into going into the field and you like the idea of digging in Scotland, I think it is a great program or even just Scotland in general is great. If there's another 
program you're more interested in. Mm-hmm. Out, listeners out there, check that out. Because didn't Gary do one in Scotland? He too? did. I met up with him for a day. Yeah. We thought we were. He like he was DMing me when I posted about it. And he was like, "Wait, are you going? I'm going to Scotland too for mm-hmm. that same time. Are we on the in the same program?" And we we're like, "Oh shit!" But it wasn't the same program. But we did find the chance to meet up for a day in Glasgow, which was fun. Nice. I'll have to ask him about that one because I've been yeah. compiling a list of like reputable field schools yeah. to recommend to people. From what I remember. It wasn't an excavation field school. Oh. It was more about surveying and like GPS and stuff. Yeah. Like, which is honestly a very, very important part of archaeology, especially, well, I mean, in academia and in CRM. But like, honestly, in most cases, when you're doing archaeology, you're probably going to be doing more surveying than actual yeah. excavation. Especially if you're interested in like for your PhD, like like starting a new site, like yes. finding a new site, yeah, like that would be a really uh, useful background. Yeah. And, like, yeah, just learning how to draw sketch maps or, navigate, mm-hmm. like, work a GPS, all that stuff is very important. Yeah. And it, but anyway, his, so his field school was more focused on that from what he told me, and it was a more recent site. It was, like, early 1800s versus, okay. like, For sure. you know, yeah. post, pre, uh, pre-1000 AD, I forget the exact time Got range. It. Also, I realized I should say Gary is someone we know from UCSB. Oh, that yes. We did field work. I yes. realized I just threw out the name. Sorry, yeah. yeah. Gary is someone that um, we did field work with, and I think like we had in Osteo when we were TAing. Yeah, yeah, we TAed yeah. for him. Um, what were some of your general like favorite things about Scotland in general? Because I know you just really liked it, so I'm I, just curious to yeah. hear a lot about like what it was that um, drew you in. Well, I really, I really like the weather because I don't particularly enjoy the heat. Same. I, I don't know what it's like in winter. I'm sure I might change my tune if I'm there in the winter. <laughs> I know it gets a bit colder. Um, you get used to it. I've well, already adjusted yeah. to Virginia. I feel like, I, I think I would adjust very quickly, but I guess we'll see. Anyway, um, other than that, the food I really liked, it's a lot of like, uh, it's a lot of fried food, but mm. it doesn't hurt your stomach the same way American oh. fried food does, which was very interesting. The food in general, it's not like, it's not that big a culture shock, at least not to me. Like, okay. it's very similar to American food in a lot of ways. But you can tell it's all, like, higher quality ingredients as well. Like, when you eat it, you're like, oh, wow, this is real food. It's pretty much how, like, everything in Europe is. Like, even the chips. Yeah. Like, if you get Lay's right? chips in Europe, they taste so much better because mm-hmm. there's not all these, like, artificial grossness exactly. in it. You know what I never realized how much of a corn flavor there is in corn syrup but when you haven't had corn syrup for oh, like 10 days really? yeah like and then you come back and i'm like oh my god no wonder europeans think our chocolate tastes like crap this tastes like yeah. corn <laughs> yeah okay that's interesting now like a like once you get rehabilitated to it like i can't taste the corn in it anymore but for like a good week there i was like oh god this is disgusting okay. and i'm kind of upset that i can't taste it anymore because now i'm yeah. just back to eating all this shitty food <laughs> Um, I know you really like whiskey. Is whiskey from Scotland? Um, scotch is from Scotland, but there oh. they call it whiskey because scotch oh. is just Scottish whiskey. Oh, okay. It's, well, good there's, to know. There's probably some... I think there is some difference in the way it's made. I honestly don't know. I just always preferred the taste of scotch to, like, okay. other whiskeys. Um, but, yeah, there was a lot of good scotches there. There was a... Um, Murray took us, actually, the uh, second to last night of the dig. He took us for, like, a walking tour of Sterling, which... Oh. My group had already done. We'd been walking around Sterling for days at that point. But yeah. um, it was cool to get the historic context of it from him because we didn't yeah. know that. And that's where he grew up. So. Yes, exactly. He had it was it was a fun time. But in, to to wrap it up, he took 
anybody who wanted to this pub. I'll say the name. It was called the Curly Coo. <laughs> and uh, shout out to them. And uh, they, I think they have like everything. But I mean, their big thing is like they have over 200 different types of like Scottish whiskeys. And they oh. give you like a big ass. You were in heaven. I was in heaven. They give you this huge book like of a menu of all the different scotches. And I was reading through it, like, reading through every page, and I got to, like, page five, I'm like, what the fuck am I doing? I've never had any of these. I need to just, like, pick something and drink it. <laughs> and so, yeah, I did that. I, like, I, I I don't remember how many drinks I ordered at that specific pub, but, you know, I mixed it up every time. I just tended to do that in general, just to try different scotches. Yeah. And I tried the ones that I get here, like, versus how they are in Scotland. They're all better. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Believe it or not. Wow. Um, we did a lot of pub hopping. Nice. Or, that's a, yeah. I feel like that's also like a part of field school is like the social experience. Yes. That I think is really important. So yes, like I'm definitely. glad to hear that you've had a nice time. I'm, I'm glad that I went with a group of people that I already knew. Mm-hmm. It was also nice because honestly I didn't know most of them that well before the... Like I knew them as, you know, people that I interacted with once a week in Kinkella's class. Mm-hmm. And I like knew they were decent enough people. But I didn't really like know them very well as people per se and now I do and like now we hang out pretty often which is so like but going off that what my original point I'm glad that I went with a group of people because going by yourself can be a little daunting because like what if everybody else there sucks but like even if I had gone by myself all the well most of the other people there were very cool yeah there's always one yeah, archae- there's always one. Um, I feel like archaeology kind of attracts like a certain personality type yeah. that tends to get along pretty the, well. The problem is, this is a very general problem, is, yeah, it tends to usually attract a very specific type of person, but the problem is when it doesn't, when somebody who, like, has that sort of novelized yeah. idea of it or, like, is just weirdly interested in, like, Rome or something but doesn't like going outside like yeah stuff like that that's when you run into the issues yeah um I can't remember if it was Templar Klaus that told me that apparently every year they get an application that says I want to do archaeology because of Indiana Jones yeah and I was like the fact that someone would actually put that in their statement of purpose or personal statement or whatever like lord how do you get that far in your undergrad career and still realize that or still think that's the way the only thing I can think of is if like maybe they only discovered archaeology like their last year and then I guess like didn't maybe have a major in it or just got some like weird ideas about it but yeah that that just seems like such a weird like I don't know how what why you would apply to a grad program for archaeology in that case if you've never done it. <laughs> yeah. I, well, mm, well, okay. A lot of grad students haven't done archaeology, yeah. and it's not their fault. That's just the system we live in. Mm-hmm. But to say you want to be like Indiana Jones is just a wee bit silly. I'm not going to lie to you. Oh, it is. When they told me that, I was like, wait, you're joking. And they were that's... like, no, at least one a year. And I was like, that's just... The thing of, like, oh, I've always wanted to be an archaeologist since I was a kid is already, like, cliche and bad enough. But, like, don't do that, by the way, guys. I don't care if it's the truth. Don't write that. Yeah, you just don't write it. You can think it. You can maybe talk about it in your interview. I'd avoid it. But, like, definitely don't write it on paper. There are other words that can use up that space. Just start it by saying how you got started. That's my advice. Yeah. Don't. Don't give background as to why you like archaeology. For sure. Just 
talk about why you're good at it. We know you like it if you're applying yeah. to grad school. I would say the same thing applies with like Bones, the TV show. Yeah, you know, like, anything like don't like it's okay if that's the truth yeah, because no, that... like we're all gonna get exposed like in different ways. But like that's not what you need to be like using your words on yeah, your like statement of purpose. It's just for. such a cliche thing that yeah. like when people read that they're immediately gonna tune out even if the rest mm-hmm. of what you have to say is really good. For sure. Because you don't need to explain why you like archaeology. You just need to explain why you're good at it more so than anything i'm cracking up daisy's just laying by the door she, oh yeah she's fine she she definitely she's been out like she's not dying to go to the bathroom or anything can't believe you refuse to walk your dog that's messed up yeah i refuse to walk her six times a day which is what she would like now that i'm home um okay do you want to talk about what you wish you would have known about crm and maybe just some like general critiques about what you think could be changed in CRM. Sure. Or like what could make it like a better. Yeah, I'll go. I'll go in depth without getting without doing anything fireable. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, any a lot of these problems that I say I aren't the fault of like my company or really any like archaeologists. Well, some, but yeah. nobody I'm going to name, obviously. It's not, but that's like, why we're talking about it, like CRM in general. It's a very, yeah, it's a systemic kind of problem from what I, or some of them are anyway. But, um, I mean, go, I'm kind of, I, th- I don't know if there's much I'd say I want to, I would like to have known going in, okay. apart from maybe, like, how oftentimes ill-prepared a lot of the parties involved are. Because oh. one of the big things, and I don't necessarily think this is a problem that can be fixed but there's just so many parties involved in Mm. all of the aspects of crm because you've got like the construction firm the whatever group is hiring them out when i in my jobs it's usually socal edison so there's that's already two and then there's my firm and me as like the archaeologists and then you know sometimes you throw in biology monitors because that's also a thing Mm. for like endangered or just plants yeah. and animals and stuff, making sure there's not a bad ecological impact yeah. with these new buildings and, or whatever. Um, so there's all that. And then, you know, the firm I work for is pretty small. Oftentimes it's a larger firm that's sub-hiring us out. So that's already like four or five different parties that all need to coordinate on this on this event that oftentimes may or may not actually be happening that day. <laughs> yeah. Because, <laughs> you know, there's a lot of factors that can delay or postpone a construction project mm-hmm. or those that's the same word twice or even stop a construction project altogether mm-hmm. there's been plenty of times where i've gone out there or been about to go out there and they've been like oh yeah no the job's not happening today and i'm like oh okay i, I like it when they tell me the day before or before i get in my car oftentimes they don't tell me until i'm already there but that's oh. fine whatever <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but you know like it's certainly annoying especially i mean depending on where you're getting sent to like the other day, actually, I got sent to one in Santa Barbara. Mm. It was in, like, not quite the... It was in, like, you know, the city. It wasn't, like, up in the wilderness, yeah. which made it a little better for because I waited there for a few hours. Well, let's start from the beginning. So, the uh, general rule is you get in touch with the foreman of the construction project the day before, and you, add, you just confirm, like, you're still planning to send people out there tomorrow, yes? Because, mm-hmm. you know, those things can change, like, even the day before if, like, work that crew was working on that day didn't get finished or whatever else so then they'll say oh yeah work is still happening or but it'll happen at this time now instead or like you you know they'll they'll answer accordingly it usually tends to be yes but it'll be later than the job package they give Mm -hmm. you because they always 
say they're going to start a lot earlier in the job packages for some reason. <laughs> but anyway, so I text this foreman, and I'm, you know, I say, like, is this project happening? And I don't get any response, and I'm like, okay, well, I guess I'll just go at the allotted time, because if I don't show up knowing my luck, they're going to be like, where the hell are you? Yeah. So I, I wake up, I get to, I wake up at, like, 530 because it's in Santa Barbara, and I have to be there at 7 a.m., according to the email. So I get there, and it's 7 a.m. I don't see any crew. So I text the guy again, like, what time were you planning on getting here? And I just kind of wait around, because I'm like, well, you know, it's usually, like, 8 or 9 that they actually show up. So, like, I'm probably just here early. It's fine. And then I get to that point, and I'm like, okay, like, nobody's here. I haven't gotten a response. I try. I've been texting the foreman up until this point. I call him, and it goes straight to voicemail. I'm like, okay. So then I text my, uh, you know, like, the archaeologist at the firm that sub-hired us, because they're, like, who I report to, because it's technically their job. Mm -hmm. But, um, so I tell them, like, yeah, there's nobody here. I can't get in touch with the foreman. I don't know what's going on. And then they try to do the same, but, you know, it's kind of hard when clearly the guy's phone's not on. (laughs) Eventually they get back to me, like, oh, yeah, the work is done. And I'm like, oh, okay, so... That kind of thing happens a lot. That's just a very specific example. Do they reimburse you for gas? They do. Okay. Um, actually, that's something I can get a little more into. Um, the policy at my... Before I get into that, the policy is, like, if a job gets canceled and you've already moved out, you ask, like, oh, is there any other work nearby I can do? And nine times out of ten, the answer is no, because why would there be? And then you go home, and my firm built gives you four hours of pay for a canceled job which is nice yeah and nice. plus drive time um most C- well every crm firm i think is i'm pretty sure it's like the law you have to compensate for mileage because okay. we don't have a set job location mm-hmm. um my firm also pays for hours driven on top of paying for mileage which is really nice and yeah. it's kind of spoiled me because now i like could never work for any other firm that doesn't do that yeah <laughs> and i have worked for firms that don't and a lot of the times in, like, the SoCal area, it's kind of a scam if they're not paying for hours driven. Because, like, yeah. one time, this was another firm, not the one I currently work for. I was I was doing a surveying job that was in, like, somewhere in downtown LA. I forget exactly okay. where. doesn't really matter. But, um... <laughs> for those people that don't live in this area, even though where Griffin and I live is only, what, maybe 40 miles from LA... It can take between an hour and a half and three hours to get anywhere in LA. Exactly my problem. I drove all the way out there. I would, I only, you know, actually getting to the place I was meant to survey, like it was a parking lot in a synagogue. It's not exactly bustling with archaeological activity. There was just a site there at one point that became like the 101 or something, you know, it's, it's all been paved over, you know, I get why the law required me to go, but like, you know. There, there was nothing there, and I very quickly deduced that and went home. Mm-hmm. But, you know, my actual time on the job was only an hour, and then my mileage wasn't geographically very far, but the time it took me to get there and back was uh, pretty goddamn long. <laughs> it was yeah. like a good four hours, both like two hours there, two hours home. Yeah, but then when I get home, it's like, oh, yeah, here's your 25 bucks for the hours you drove. I'm like, God, I would have made four times that much if you paid me hours driven. Yes, that so, makes sense. Yeah. If That's you're, good to know. Yeah. Like, Especially if people are deciding between, like, 
Yeah. To anybody out there applying for CRM jobs, you should really put the pressure on these firms to start doing that. Mm -hmm. I know anybody working at these firms is not going to be a friend of mine when I say that, but I mean it. But especially like in a metropolitan area like yeah. Los Angeles, like yeah. it really does make a difference. Like you're saying and just like, because it's 25 miles, it can take you like hours. Yeah. And even when it isn't like LA traffic, I did a job in Buellton. And that's like a two-hour drive without traffic. Yeah. So, you know, that's four hours there. It's north of Santa Barbara, right? Yeah, it's like an hour north of Santa Barbara. Um, So that was like a two-hour drive for me there. Two hours there, two hours back. So that's already four hours out of my day. Mm -hmm. And then the actual work itself only took me like four and a bit hours. So it was like half of my day that I'm not getting paid for. Mm -hmm. And it's like, yeah, I, I don't like that a lot of firms don't pay for drive time. I don't think that's fair. Yeah. People try to make the argument of like, oh, mileage is actually better. And it's like, no, both is better. Yeah. And mileage is not very good when you live in SoCal. <laughs> no, it's not. It's not. Um, something else within your CRM experience was asking for a raise. Yeah. So um, it was uh, my annual review time, actually not that long ago now. And I was getting paid, like, admittedly pretty well it was um it was 25 bucks an hour that i started at which is like pretty good for your starting position at a crm firm a lot of them pay less which i don't think is right i think it's a very demanding job that requires a pretty substantial pay rate Mm -hmm. you know 25 was fine but it was getting to the point where i was like i do kind of i feel like i need and deserve more for the effort i'm putting in yeah and you'd been there like a year yeah, and so at the annual review, I mean, luckily I didn't have to negotiate it. Per- I went in intending to negotiate on mm-hmm. it and say, like, I need you guys to pay me more, but they were already intending to give me a raise, so that was nice. I didn't actually have to, but it's um it's part of a larger thing in CRM, and honestly the job industry in general is a lot of people don't think to, like... Mm-hmm ask for a raise like that because they're worried of the repercussions but like the people who are hiring you need you more than you need them and you should feel entitled to ask for more money if you yeah. if you, you deserve, deserve it, it. Yeah. you put the time in i mean like be reasonable about it and yeah don't you don't have to be like hostile about it or mm-hmm. if you're really if you don't some people don't deserve it yeah or they ask for an unrealistic number. Yeah. You know, like, you want to go for what you think is yeah. realistic. And maybe if you can do, like, if you can find out what other people's wages are in your company or in other companies, you kind of have, like, a um, a point of comparison. So you're not just, like, throwing a number out there. Yeah. I, um, I, got, I, I got a raise. Now I'm at 27 bucks an hour, which is, you know, not a huge raise. But it's fun. I'm happy with it. It's, yeah. it's what I, I'm, I'm very happy with that. And, like, yeah, people people get hesitant to even, like, ask about... And I get why. It's nerve-wracking, because, like, that can go very poorly if, mm-hmm. you, if you've got a shitty boss that might just up and fire you for saying that. But then also, at the same time, if that happens, why would you want to keep working there? Yeah, for sure. <laughs> but, um, yeah, no, in... I think in CRM, and really all work, but in CRM, especially just because I'm an archaeologist and that's my only frame of reference, it you've got to... You've got to, like, make it, make your wants and your needs kind of known to your employers like mm-hmm. that. Espe- like, you know, CRM is a, it's demanding, and a lot of times it's, like, you know, it's dangerous. Like, 
you're in the wilderness a lot of the time with bad reception. Sometimes you're with like people who will get in a bulldozer and attempt to inflict bodily harm on you because you stopped them from digging. <laughs> That's never happened to me, but it's happened to some co-workers of mine anyway um but like you, you know it's there's a lot of there's a lot of uh, risks involved you could mm-hmm. get hurt or even you could die yeah. so like you should feel like you're the effort you're putting in is worth you should be getting enough in return to make it worthwhile i the amount of times i've like you know gone down a oh i've got a lot of stories about this like <laughs> gone down a dirt road or like up a dirt road excuse me like up a very narrow dirt road up a hill because i'm like oh i think this is where the job site is and then i get to the top and the road ends and i'm like oh okay well time to reverse back down the hill oh, <laughs> like, the amount of times i've almost fallen off a cliff <laughs> no. like i think that deserves some financial compensation yeah <laughs> yeah. yeah or like even um you know like they you're not really meant to trespass sometimes you end up accidentally trespassing on the job you could get shot. I've had, like, um, this wasn't even trespassing, but um, one time I had to do a job on a, on a farm, and it was private property. But, you know, like, I was meant to, I, you know, they told the landowner and all that, like, that I was coming in and all that good stuff. And so I drove in, and I'm, like, heading through, like, the uh, fields. And then behind me, there's a big pickup truck, like, that jumps out of the fields and is, like, you know, like, really up my ass, like, blaring on the horn. And I'm like, oh, shit, he doesn't know why I'm here. And so, you know, I get out. And I have, um, they do give you uh, magnets that have, like, you know, the company name and, like, the approved SoCal Edison contractor type mm-hmm. thing, like, for these situations. But they're big magnets, and they don't fit on the back of my car. So, like, this guy just saw my normal civilian car with all of my cool, dumb stickers and magnets <laughs> on nice. Yeah, it was not that Anthropodcast sticker that really made him dubious. He fucking hates that Anthropodcast. Yeah. <laughs> But anyway, so I keep them on my, uh, on my driver's side door. But, so then when I stop the car and I'm like, I roll down my window and he's like walking up, he looks like pissed off and then he sees the magnets and like his face just goes like back and he's like, I'm so sorry, I didn't know who you were, carry on. I'm like, oh yeah, no worries, man. Nice. But like, yeah, there's a, you know, if I, if that guy had been a little less, uh, responsible, I could, you know. Yeah. I could have some lead in my brainstem right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, hell, the parks in Virginia all have signs that say no hunting in the parks. Yep, like, <laughs> exactly, like, yeah. Which reminds me that they had to put up signs because people were hunting in the parks. Oh, my God. Oh, that reminds me. I don't think I told the podcast. I saw my first fox. We have hey. a neighborhood fox. It's adorable. Nice. I have to make sure it doesn't try to eat my fox, but, you know. Oh, uh, true. Hello. I still need to see the, like, island foxes on the Channel <gasps> Islands. They're so cute. I've seen one in captivity, but never in the wild. Yeah, I've seen them in captivity. I've seen... I think I saw them in the wild when I went there in seventh grade. We tried to see them. I was, uh, I was on Catalina Island a few months ago. Um, <laughs> don't laugh. Nothing happened. <laughs> no, nothing happened. Everything that happened was legal. Yes. Um, it was. <laughs> fear and loathing on Catalina Island, but all the substances a, involved were legal. Yes, for a pirate event. Yes, um... Now I have to talk about that, don't I? Okay. No, 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 no. It's okay. I, sh- I feel like I should. <laughs> well, no, the we went there, and we looked for foxes a little bit, didn't see any. Some of us, not naming names, me, got a little too cross-faded. Yeah. But it's okay. It's okay. It was, it was fun. Yes. And again, everything is legal in California. Yes. So everything's fine. Um... So, on that note, <laughs> now 
you're applying to grad school. Yeah, um, disregard that last thing if you're yeah. not into that sort of thing. Anybody looking at my applications, I would never drink or take gummies. Yeah. That'd be irresponsible. Unless you're into that, in which case I would. Yeah. <laughs> Unless you're Temple. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so now I've been applying for grad schools in a less stupid way. <laughs> Knowing more so what specifics I'd like to work on and how best to demonstrate that in a statement and in a CV and all of that good stuff and also having a fair amount of professional and volunteer experience under my belt. Cool. I've applied to uh, just about everywhere I intend to by this point. Um, I applied to several schools in Scotland. One of my top pick of them is Aberdeen just because they've got a very good bioarc program and the people there seem very much in line with my way of thinking and he's been accepted i have been accepted to aberdeen nowhere else yet but this is already a relief Mm because now no matter what i'm in somewhere yeah so that's a big weight off my shoulders no no third gap year and like just so people know as of right now programs aren't responding like it's not like he hasn't heard for some weird reason like they just they don't respond to aberdeen's just weirdly early yeah I, I think I also got fast-tracked, like, before my letters of rec even oh. got sent in. I got was already it. accepted. Like, the yeah. professor just really liked me. Cool. Um, not to brag, but... <laughs> you, can, you are welcome to brag. Just that good, guys. Yes. <laughs> so, yeah, um, for international schools, Aberdeen's probably my top pick. I have... There's pros and cons to international schools. It's obviously expensive, but, I mean, so is school in America, so it kind of cancels out. Yeah. The programs in the UK, at least, are also very, very much quicker yeah. than the ones here, which yeah. is bad and good, if you ask me. Yeah, there's pros and cons. Yeah. I'm not totally opposed. Oh, and then the other thing is, like I said earlier, archaeology is part of history there, and I think, not to shame my, my dear Scottish friends... But I think that's led to some issues in your guys' ability to do prehistoric archaeology. Ah. Uh, <laughs> I feel like some of you kind of flounder when you don't have written material to base mm, your knowledge off of. Got it. From what I've read. Not all of you, of course. I'm sure many of you are great at that. But mm-hmm. I've been trying to look up uh, pre-Roman Pictish archaeology papers. And they're all either not pre-Roman or people saying, man, we really need to look into this pre-Roman stuff. <laughs> Got it. So Got it. I'd like to do that. And yeah. Maybe, a, maybe an American school or at least the American background might help me with that more so. So my top, uh, my top domestic school is University of Buffalo. And it's funny because I only applied to them as sort of like a – or I, I didn't – I reached out to them as a backup. I reached out to mm-hmm. a professor and I was like, Hey, I'm like, your, our interests are vaguely similar. Are you accepting uh, master's students next year? Yeah. And he was like, dude, you're way too qualified for the <laughs> master's. You should do the PhD. And I was like, well, gee, you really think so? Yeah. <laughs> Nobody who doesn't already know me has ever told me that. <laughs> so I'm applying there for a PhD. I've been told my chances are good. Maybe, yeah. I've, maybe I've ruined them by saying all the things I've said for the past hour or whatever. No. But that's fine. If they don't want me for who I am, then I don't want them. Hi, Daisy. <laughs> Welcome back. Welcome, Daisy. Um, so, yeah, we'll see. I hear they, I recently, like, I think just last week, got every material submitted. I had to wait on some letters of rec and stuff, but 
Now everything's in and they settle here back by January. Nice. But again, if nowhere else accepts me, I'm still in at Aberdeen, so okay. life's not so bad. You two have to smile. Oh, okay. Daisy May, look at Mama. Oh. Love that. Well, we have to have a picture to post. That's true. Not an action field shot this time. Yeah. Sorry to interrupt. I just... No, you're fine. I was pretty much wrapping up. Like, yeah. Yeah, I'm waiting on uh, grad school responses right now, planning out the next step yes. of my life. He I... did apply to George Mason. I did apply to George um... Mason. everybody either a jaded bitter crm archaeologist that doesn't do anything and blames academics for not doing anything or everybody an armchair academic who's also not doing anything and blaming the jaded old crm archaeologist personally i think the biggest issue with academia is that there are people in academia that do not want to teach and just want to do yeah research. exactly and i don't think there's anything wrong with that i think that i don't know the exact numbers i think in my mind there should be like 50 percent of teachers that are just paid to teach yeah they're brought there exclusively to create new uh cur- curriculums to create new classes to enhance methods to do whatever and um right now especially like within my cohort like we have a couple people and i'm not naming names and again like i don't think that they would mind me sharing this because like they're very open about it that like they don't like teaing they don't want to teach like they right. want to do research but they want to be a professor yeah and i think and i don't think this because of what the people in my cohort have told me i've thought this already that that's a fundamental issue yeah because if you're there should be a job for you within like where you can research that doesn't involve teaching if you really don't want yeah to. because then we have the issue of like for example like i think some of the experiences we had at ucsb of people that clearly don't want to be in the classroom and yeah. you don't really get a lot. For example, like the intro to arc class at UCSB is trash. Yeah. I've thankfully, I've been lucky with meeting professors who do actually, yes. who like teaching was their top priority. I've, yeah. But I've met a lot of people who haven't been that lucky. I've met plenty. I don't remember if I talked about this in the last podcast or not. I don't think I did, but you know, you meet a lot of people, even people in master's programs or undergrads that have been like, they're like, oh yeah, I've never worked in the field before. And it's mm-hmm. like, that's an issue. And it, it's weird to me that like, you can do that. Cause mm-hmm. I mean, one, how do you even know if you like archeology? span Yeah, for sure. <laughs> like, I'm sh- I guarantee you a lot of those people go into the field and they're like, oh wow, I really don't like this. Yeah. <laughs> I wish I hadn't done this. Yeah, and it's like that's why there should be a space for people that just want to teach and yeah. that just want to do research. Like, yeah, there's for no sure. issue with either. No. It's just that the job shouldn't be both. Yeah. Or if it is, it's like, okay, you're required to teach one class a year and do your research, right? Like I get that it's okay to have a balance. Like yeah. I don't necessarily think all researchers at universities just shouldn't teach because they have like, in if their niche area of specificity, they have a lot to share, right? And the only reason you're learning this stuff, if you're not telling others about it, what are you actually yes. doing? <laughs> but I do think that, for example, like, the people that love to teach and that pour their heart and soul into teaching, like, people that we know, <laughs> yeah. then um, can't get as much research done mm-hmm. and then aren't, avail- aren't able to get things like tenure or, like, career advancement opportunities outside of tenure because they're not 
being super prolific in their research, but it's like they're teaching two to three classes a semester and they're putting their heart and soul into that and they're helping students and they're, you know, doing... And they're very much directly responsible for whatever those students produce later. Or yeah. some of them anyway. Like, a lot, you know, all the people who have, like, mentored me, everything I've done, I I thank them for. That was yeah. that was their work, more so than the people who just do research on their own, yeah. but have, like, the higher, the more prestigious uh, job title, sure. which is a little silly. Yeah. That's why I think, like, I would do well in a community college setting. Yeah, I um, I like the idea of doing research as well. I would not, you know, if, like, if a community college was the place I end up at, I would not be upset at all. But I want to do both, because I think, like, I, you know, people like Kinkella or Katie Brown or anybody else who I've worked with on a on an extensive project... I like it when there's that mix of, like, being able to actually conduct research and, like, get undergrads or grad students involved, like, have them co-author, have them present at conferences, and also having that field element of, like, just, I get the all-encompassing archaeology experience that I think so many people don't get, and I've been very lucky to actually get. Yeah. And it, it just makes me sad that, like, you're not getting every aspect of archaeology in most cases. And I think that you should, if that's the route you want to go down, I think that that should be more easily accessible. I agree. Yeah, like, it's a shame that at Moore Park you got way more archaeology hands-on experience than you ever got at UCSB. Everything I learned, like, that's helped me in my professional field, more or less I've learned from Kinkella. Yeah. And there's some exceptions, like... Katie Brown taught me a lot, but that was yeah. more, like, academic than CRM. And I realized when I just said that it's a shame, that sounds like I'm saying it's a shame that you can only get that at a community college. That's not... I think it's well, great it's that great you got that, it at Moore Park. Yeah. I'm just saying it's sad that the fact people that, that aren't going to a place like Moore Park are not getting that. Yeah, the fact that a lot of people who, like, were, um, who were able to get into a four-year, like, right out of high school or chose to. Yeah. Like, you know, any anybody who did that is getting... Like, anybody who went straight to UCSB from the same high school as me for archaeology, which is exactly zero people, but um, anybody who hypothetically would have done that would have gotten a less extensive experience than I did being at UCSB for less time. Yeah, I mean, is, I think you have more experience than I do. I, I mean, yeah, like, feel, upon graduation, because obviously now you have more experience than I do, but, like, well, upon graduation, I think you still have more experience. Yeah, I, yeah, I think so. So. Which is isn't right like I don't no. I didn't have that much in no, all honesty no like, I know that's why yeah I, it was like exemplary for like but it should be the standard it should be the I should standard. I should not be an outlier no I agree and like let's like big round of applause to King Kella for like making that a reality yeah seriously because it's not well, easy what well, it takes okay hang on oh, okay uh Bob Lopez actually started that program got it just to not Credit where it's due. For sure, yeah. yeah. But also the, like, maintaining of it. Yes. And, like, because those aren't things that he, you just, like, get. Like, whoever, yeah. Bob Lopez, like, had to and, fight for that, yeah. I'm sure. Like, yeah, he, it was hard from what I understand. And the fact that Kinkella has carried it on when he has no reason to. Because he, like, Bob Lopez, for, I, I'm sure most people listening don't know, he's a, he's an old name California archaeologist. He did a lot of work in Ventura County and he taught at Moore Park for, like, a while. Got it. Um... But, you know, Kinkella's not a California archaeologist. In reality, like, he could just as easily have, like, shut that program down and been like, oh, no, like, I don't work here. There's no reason for me to keep this running. 
Definitely. But like, yeah, no, the fact that he didn't and the fact that it even was conceived to begin with is like a great thing. Yeah. But it really should be the standard. Yeah. I get that a lot of the times, you know, it's it's hard to keep a field school running, especially locally where there are so many different parties involved. Like, you know, like it, thankfully, like the Chumash peoples and the California archaeologists, in my experience, there's a very strong relationship. Mm-hmm. So there's not a lot of inf. Well, mm, there's not a lot of refusal to do like field work per se. Got it. But um, you know, like I'm sure in other states, like there probably are some like butting heads. Probably probably for good reason, or well, maybe not. I don't know. I'm sure it all depends. There's fifty states to contend with, but I'm sure there's somewhere there's like absolutely no way to like run a local field school our local the local tribe of fairfax wouldn't let george mason have an indigenous collaboration class yeah they didn't like the uh syllabus and so they're reconstructing it with the person that's so, good so, oh no it's good it's just like that's an example of yeah on a very that's, small scale that's good of, like, that an indigenous collaboration class that fact, wasn't even field yeah the fact that they're willing to work together is good because i know in other I don't know really what area specifically, but I know there's other places where, like, there's just kind of stubbornness For on sure. both sides that leads to nothing getting done. And, like... Probably ish, probably places where there's been a lot more, like, violence against the tribe. Yeah, I think that because... Maybe I'm way off on this, but I feel like because California was, like, mostly owned by other countries when all that stuff was going down, mm. I feel like there might be less bad... Bl- well, mm, I don't know, maybe not. But it's, it's all subjective. Yeah, yeah. And, but the point is, I haven't seen much infighting like that in yeah. Southern California. Which is good. Which, yeah, I'm very grateful for. But I, but going back to the topic, um, the point is I understand that field schools can be impractical in that regard. But also, like, I don't know. If you're doing research, surely you have a place where that is and a place mm-hmm. you can bring students to. Yeah. Like, I, I get not everybody can do it, but I think... A hell of a lot more people can do it than do. But I agree. We are back to finish off the episode talking about how Griffin has kind of seen and like believes in the importance of public outreach and public engagement with archaeology. Obviously, that's something I talk about a lot on the podcast and it's something I clearly believe in. It's what I'm doing. But um, Griffin's going to tell us kind of some of his insights. I mean, it kind of goes into what we were saying earlier about like how if we aren't the ones telling the public about archaeology it's going to be other people that do it wrong Mm -hmm. and and it even touches into what we were talking about a little bit ago with like archaeologists not putting in like the effort to make like field schools and stuff it's same with public outreach like there's these people that really want to research really want to bury their heads in and just produce research as like that's all they do for their job but then if they're not putting that research out there or telling other people about it then you just kind of run into this problem that we're currently facing of like you know most a lot of people who know me and who have known me for years still don't even know what I do because the public uh the PR team for archaeology is so uh non-existent non-existent so (laughs) small like a lot of people to the to this literal day like even before I showed up here for this podcast think I dig up dig up dinosaurs and I don't. All, yeah. I know you guys are listening, and I know you won't accept it. I really don't <laughs> dig up dinosaurs. I promise you, I never have, and I never will, at least not intentionally. I'm not <laughs> qualified to do that. I'm not yeah. a paleontologist. 
And I'm not an architect either. I don't <laughs> design buildings. You study the design of buildings, but you don't design buildings. I mean, I don't personally, yeah, but somebody I, like me could. Yes, yes. <laughs> but yeah, art, like, that, but that's my point. Like, it's, the public outreach is so pathetic, honestly. Mm-hmm. Like, what you do and, like, can Kel, there's plenty of people that are putting in the effort now, thankfully, but, you know, like, people don't even know what archaeology is. Yeah. And that's really bad. Yeah, but, like, even, too, with what Kinkella and I do, it's hard for us to get out to the public audience. Like, for sure. It's easier for me to get students that are, like, for example, like, what I get a lot of, like, new followers are students in archaeology or people that have graduated with an archaeology degree. Well, yeah. just general anthropology right, degrees. Right, yeah. Um, and so I, and I'm sure Kinkella's the same, like, it's hard to get tap into, like, that other, like, the, the just the interested public yeah. that doesn't know... And so I am curious about, like, how I... I know you don't have the answer, but I'm curious how I can get my podcast out to more public audiences. Yeah. I've been toying with ideas of doing things of that vein. Like, mm-hmm. I mentioned to you, like, a while ago that I like the idea of, like, having a podcast yeah. that's a little more, like, for non-anth people to, like, mm-hmm. get interested in. Or I, I, I would probably just do archaeology and maybe touch on other anth stuff. This is very, very early on. It might never happen. Like, I'm not in a stage to even begin that Mm -hmm. right now. I wouldn't even begin it until after grad school. Yeah, I'm thinking... Because it's very hard to maintain during grad school. Yeah, I will... We'll see where, like, the trajectory of my life goes. Mm -hmm. I don't intend on starting at least for, like, another year, and even that's, like, a bit soon. For sure. So, we'll see. How old are you, Griffin? I am 24. Okay. Um... It's not the 15th. On the 15th, I'll be 24 and a half. Okay, <laughs> so, nice. Frame of reference. Nice. Um, I was going to say 25. No. Some people think I'm like 30 or straight out of high school. <laughs> it's a I really mixed the, bag. That's funny. With the 30, I feel like you should just be like, yes. Yeah, no, I roll with it sometimes. I think it's because I dress and act like an older man. Because and you I, have a very deep voice, too. There is that. I think it's because the weight of the world is always on my shoulders. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Oh, I know what I wanted to talk about. Okay. Did you see that Goblin Goblin Mode won the poll and oh, it's yeah, in the dictionary? I'm so happy. I was <laughs> campaigning on that uh-huh. on that story. You know the best part now that it's now that we're safe, now that it's been I never voted for it, not even once. Really? What I does was, Goblin Mode mean? I don't you know. I mean, I assume it means acting like a goblin. Pr- more or less. Okay. I think it's hard to put in general terms, but I think the idea is just being like feral yeah, and like what I was say, kind, kind of, of just like going feral yeah feral and angry and yeah. kind of okay. um misanthropic nice yeah so. which i'm all about yeah one That's, of my roommates was saying oh yeah it made the oxford english dictionary i was like griffin's gonna be really happy to know that. it was the only real choice the other two were garbage well what were they one was hashtag i stand with which was just fucking lame like that's yeah. not even something that we came up with this year and then the other one was uh I don't even remember. The other one, I was like, okay, that one can win, but now I'm totally forgetting what it was. But the point is Goblin Mode won, and that's what we were all about here. Nice. Um, we have a lot of Daisy fans uh, that listen, so how would you describe Daisy's energy as someone who's spent a considerable amount of time with her? Daisy is kind of like... She's very stoic, I would say. Yeah. She's like one of the... If she was a people, she'd probably, like, to respond to most things, she'd probably just go, hmm. Mm, yeah and like nod a little bit and maybe like i'm gonna do this right now even though the listeners can't see like kind of put your fingers together and like Uh under your like i feel like there'd be a lot of pondering and grumbling yes wouldn't there days yeah yeah every time i have a guest on 
and I'm talking about Daisy, they're like, oh, can I see her? So I have to hold her up to the yeah. Zoom camera, like, every time. Daisy and I have met many times. Yes. You've hung out on many an occasion. That we have. Kachi's doing really well. Oh, I'm glad. She's so sweet. I miss Kachi. I miss, I know. When I see her, I get so excited. Um, Danielle asked me to babysit her, and I was Aww. so excited, and then she texted me the dates, and it was the exact dates my dad was visiting, and Aww. I was like, I am so sorry, I can't, I was like, I want to, right. trust me, like, yeah, I, if you sure. was like, I was like, please, if you ever need me to again, like, I would love to babysit her. Yeah. Any ending remarks, like, I don't know, goals or things you want to, like, put out there, manifest? Um... Well, let's hope I can get into Buffalo, and then I can just skip the master's program, which would be a, yeah. which would be cool. Be really it's a hard I mean, thing. you would get your master's along the way, but it would yeah. be incorporated into the PhD. It's just always nice to not have to do it two different schools or, like, start at the... I don't know. It, For sure. It's just a pride thing more than anything. No, I get <laughs> and, it. Uh, and better funding as a PhD student. They get... They're, they're better off. You're going to be cold. Yeah. Yeah. No matter where I go, really, everywhere I've... Well, my yeah, top places I've applied are very cold. Buffalo gets, like, feet of snow. Yeah, that is true. <laughs> this is true. I mean, you'll be fine. I'm not, like, saying that no, as a discouraging factor, I, but yeah. it is just a consideration. Yeah, a lot of people have said that I've made my peace with it as much cool. as I can as someone who hasn't experienced it yet. We'll see. Yeah. Um, I'm the current president-elect of the VCAS, the Ventura County Archaeological Society. We have monthly meeting or yeah monthly meetings second tuesday of every month we've got a website it's i don't know just look up ventura county archaeological society you'll find us we're we're kind of cool i'm trying to make us cooler nice we're a little antiquated yeah um i've started also i'm a as of yesterday i'm a volunteer for the mentorship program at the save ancient studies alliance which is another archaeology and other adjacent sort of disciplines society that like is all about actually to circle back all about very uh modern attempts at public outreach they're like very much appealing to the modern day like the youth the um you know the the normal people out there the goblin mode children the goblin mode children the the freaks out there who go into office buildings and clock out and like a normal set schedule every week those monsters (laughs) yeah trying to appeal to them they do like like live streams on Twitch, they talk about like modern day like games or movies or whatever, and like archaeo like um I don't know if you know God of War. It's um yes, I've heard. Yeah, so like they they're like doing stuff about like you know the accuracies of like Norse mythology mm-hmm. and culture in that, and like they do stuff like that, and I think it's very cool. I don't know what it's like to work with them just yet because I've only just started, mm-hmm. but I'm excited. I think that sort of direction is the way things need to go in the future I, I like these very modern attempts of getting people involved in archaeology and like exposing them to archaeological ideas even if they don't want to uh pursue archaeology themselves yeah so um, i'm, I'm just have, trying to do more of that sorry what oh i'll have that and the vcas and the scotland field school all linked in the description yes. of the episode uh, oh i was gonna say that especially recording this in person I've had some people tell me that I should do video podcasts. I will never do video podcasts. Yeah. It's absolutely not in the question. It's never been in the question for me. It just seems because, like a lot of effort. Yes. A, it's a lot of effort. But also B, and I'm curious what you think about this, I feel like it adds another level of, like a violation of privacy. Yeah. Because you can 
and I'm curious if I personally think it's easier to be more honest and like authentic when there's not a camera in your face. Do you feel that I, way? I kind of do. I always feel like there, cause there's that other element of like, what do I look like yeah. right now? Do I look stupid because I'm moving my mouth and sounds coming out? Mm-hmm. And like the answer is probably yes. <laughs> <laughs> and then also I kind, I kind of feel like, cause like I've listened to other podcasts where like as they grow, they like turn into a video oriented mm-hmm. podcast. And then when you're listening, like in your car or something, there's suddenly all these visual elements that you miss out on. Yeah. Like they start, cause sure. now that they know there's a camera on, they'll like start, you know, doing more like actions with their hands or whatever, yeah. without any accompanying voice stuff. And then they just have to explain it afterwards. And it's like, well, that's kind of silly. Like, or assets. Like they'll throw a picture up there. Yeah, you know, exactly. There's so much that gets lost to like, to some listeners that way. Yeah. And I feel like the whole point of a podcast is that it's all audio. I guess the last thing I have to ask, and I didn't prepare you th- for this, so Ooh. take a second to think about it. I'm excited. Uh, what's your favorite episode of that Anthro podcast that you've listened to? I know you have some on your docket, but of Def- the ones you've listened to. Definitely the one where I'm in it. Okay. No. <laughs> um, no, I don't know. I mean, it's probably it's probably either... Well, I don't know. Kinkello's was good. Like, I've heard all those stories countless times. So as an episode, I wasn't like, wow, that was so great. But, like, I'm glad that he, like, got to put it out there more. Murray's was very fun, of course. I'm biased towards both of them. Because they're both people I very much admire. I think Um, I remember you liked Katie's, too. She was this. Katie Sieber, yes. Yes, that was a good one. She's friends with Amy Anderson. Yeah, 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 yeah. I did like that episode a lot. I thought you were talking about Katie Brown at first. I was like, you never told me you interviewed her. (laughs) No, I would like to, but she's been uh, new momming it up. So I kind of, you know, she needs her time to... Yeah. And she's also, she starts up teaching at CSUN in a year. So that she might have more... Oh, that's exciting. She might have more to say after. Um, Well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Of course. For a second time. You're our first repeat guest. Yeah, I'm just I am hoping Amy Anderson will be our second because she's promised me that now that she's Dr. Anderson, she will come on the podcast again. Um, So hopefully that will be coming soon. Uh, Yeah, thank you so much. Of course, as long as I can be the third as well. Yeah, for sure. First third. Yeah.